Chapter 37, Part 2 of The Life of Philip Melanchthon. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Philip Melanchthon by Carl Frederick Lederhaus. Translated by Hotlub Frederick Crotel. He dies. Part 2. On the following day, April 17th, he sealed the letter to Prussia, wrote something upon some small pamphlets, and sent them to his friends, and a few of them to the Duke. When he felt some fatigue, and the fever was about attacking him again, Camerarius came to bid him farewell. Philip said, The Son of God, who sitteth at the right hand of his heavenly Father, and giveth gifts to men, preserve you and yours and all of us. Give my warmest regards to your dear wife. This was the last interview of those affectionate friends. Camerarius mounted his horse before Melanchthon's door, and went to Leipzig to attend to some important matters, intending to return afterwards. Prince Jochahim of Anhalt on the same day sent one of his attendants to inquire in regard to the good man's health. Melanchthon conversed with him in a very friendly manner and expressed his affection toward the prince in such moving blessings and wishes for his welfare that every eye was filled with tears. Several letters also arrived in Switzerland which spoke of the prospects of a general council which the Pope intended to convene. He said, It is far better for me to die than to be obliged to attend this council. For everyone could easily imagine what shameful dissensions would arise there, even on the side of the Protestants. At eight o'clock, the thiever made its appearance for the sixth time. To some standing at his bedside, he remarked, I was tonight thinking of the foolish dispute that some pretend that Christ was not afraid of death but he understood what it is to die, far better than we do or can do. Therefore he no doubt was more afraid of death than we are. He also said, How does the will of the Lord Jesus Christ agree with the will of his heavenly Father when he was afraid of death? But he did not give any further intimation of his views in regard to this. He again spoke of Eswam's wife. What a fine young woman your beloved wife was. She had a strong constitution too and yet she died very easily, and had a disease very much like mine. For she had pains in her left side, and I have them too, but the great weakness of my body is owing to other causes, which I do not understand. And shortly before retiring he said, If this is not death, it is indeed a very severe scourge. A large map hung near his bed, which he regarded very attentively. He turned round, and with a smile remarked, Madungus once foretold to me by astrology that I would be shipwrecked upon the ocean, and now I am not far from it. He had reference to the painted ocean upon the map when the heat of the fever came upon him. He was about to uncover his extremities. A feeling of modesty led him to say to those who were surrounding his bed, What are you standing here for? Can't you go home? This frightened many so much that they retired. A few persons were present during that day. At two o'clock the fever left him. 
It had not been as severe as before. He rose and took some food, but his stomach could not retain it. He again retired and slept until five o'clock. He was lying all night in his chamber, his slumbers being very slight and restless. His friends feared that returning fever would consume his remaining strength. Philip himself said, The end is not far distant, and prayed, O Lord, make an end. On the 18th of April, he rose early in the morning at four o'clock and was conveyed down into his study. He requested them to remove the sofa, which felt uncomfortable, and to put up his travelling bed. When he was taken down, he said, This is called a travelling bed. Suppose I should be obliged to travel in it. While the physicians became convinced from a number of signs that he would not recover, he felt it himself and said he was perfectly satisfied if it was God's will. At eight o'clock, Pastor Paul Eber and several other persons entered the room and approached the deathbed. Melanchthon frequently repeated that he had subjected his own will to the will of God, and that life and death were altogether in his hands. He would be perfectly satisfied with whatever he should do. And he also remarked, By the blessing of God I have no particular anxieties now. For although my daughter's children, whom I tenderly love, are now passing before my eyes, I comfort myself with the thought that they are in the hands of pious and godly parents whom I love also. They will be solicitors for their welfare and carefully train them, as I have done hitherto, and God will also add his blessing. But I feel for the common calamities and am greatly troubled, because the cavilling and perverse world acts so willfully and troubles the holy Christian church so shamefully. However, let them do whatever they please. Through the goodness of God our doctrine is correct and clear for all that. He then said to some persons present, you are young, and have received sufficient talents through the goodness of God. But see to it that you use them aright. May Almighty God preserve you, and give you strength and wisdom, that you may be of service to him and his church. When, on the same day, he saw one of his granddaughters, Pusus' eldest child, passing before his bed, he called her to him and said, Dear daughter, I have loved you most affectionately, See that you reverence your parents, and always obey them, and fear God, who will never forsake you. May God Almighty protect you, and give you his blessing. Amen. He also spoke in the same friendly manner to the other children, who were younger, and exhorted them to pray and to be pious. To his daughter he said, Dear daughter, God has given you a pious husband. Love, honour and obey him, and raise your children in the fear of God. And God will be with you, and will not forsake you. He spoke like one who was taking leave. Camerarius was written to on the following day, and informed that he must make haste if he wished to find his Philip alive. But it was impossible for him to arrive before the death of his friend. At eight o'clock on the 18th of April, he had some food prepared for himself, and partook of a little broth and a few slices of lemon. Soon after, he asked his son-in-law what hopes he entertained in regard to him, and that he should not hide anything from him. Pusa replied, God is your life, and the length of the days of your life. But as you request me to tell the whole truth, there is indeed very little hope, as far as I am able to judge from natural causes, for you are very weak, and your weakness is increasing every moment. 
Upon this he said, Yes, I feel my weakness and understand what it imports very well. I have commended the whole matter to God, whom I pray to deal mercifully with me. He had before commenced his will, which opened with a short declaration of all the articles of his doctrine and faith. He now ordered them to look for it, in order that he might finish it. But it could not be found, and it was supposed someone had stolen it. At two o'clock he seated himself at his desk to write another. We will insert a part of what he wrote. In the year 1560, on the 18th day of April, I have written this will in my sickness, briefly in reference to the humble possessions which God has bestowed upon me. I have twice before written the confession of my faith, and gratitude to God and our Lord Jesus Christ, but this has been lost. But I wish my answer to the Bavarian articles to be looked upon as my confession against the Papists, Anabaptists, the followers of Flacius and others like them. He then expressed his wishes in regard to the division of his property among his heirs, but his weakness prevented him from concluding it, which he intended to do on the following day, but it was never done. He was in full possession of all his mental faculties, and remained so to the end. As he felt no pain in his head at all, some supposed that he would die very painfully. He also conversed with his son-in-law in regard to the affairs of the university, what subjects should be taught there, and also pointed out his successor. At three o'clock he expressed a wish to retire to his room again. He slept soundly until six. In the meantime, letters had arrived from Frankfurt, in which his friends informed him how terribly the pious were being persecuted in France. He said, Well, I am weak and do not feel well but all my sickness does not pay me as much as the great misery of the Holy Christian Church, which arises from the unnecessary separation, wickedness and wilfulness of those who have departed from us without cause. And these mad people are not able to stop, but must still go on and make this misery worse than it is, for they do not spare anyone. But you will see that God will punish this wantonness, and we shall be punished along with them. However, our punishment shall be that which a father inflicts, but they shall be compelled to suffer severer punishment. I deeply commiserate the poor people who are so wretchedly deceived. He continued to utter his complaints to us for a long time, and it affected him very much. His friends also read other letters to him of more cheering character. Thus the conversation was turned into a different channel. He fought of several friends and acquaintances, and even uttered a few words in jest. His friends conversed with him until about eight o'clock and entertained the best hopes in regard to his condition. Before retiring to rest, he ate a few preserved cherries and drank a little wine to strengthen himself for sleep. It was his last night, for the 19th of April was the day of his death. His sleep was very much disturbed. At two o'clock at night he arose in the bed and said to the physician who was present that he had slept very little. He had again thought of the word of Paul, If God be for us, who can be against us? He thought of the misery and troubles of the church with great sorrow, and his complaints were finally changed into fervent prayers for the whole Christian church. He spoke of his son-in-law until about three o'clock, and was then led into his study. After walking up and down for some time, 
he laid himself upon his travelling bed and fell asleep, breathing very easily. When he awoke about six o'clock, he requested his son-in-law to cut off his hair. This was done. He had three clean linen shirts brought to him, which he put on, one over the other, as he had been in the habit of doing for years, in order to keep his body warm. He also placed a clean nightcap upon his head, for he was in the habit of always wearing one at home, and he remarked that he had learned this of the celebrated Dr. Ruchlin. In this manner he adorned himself for his departure. Soon after, the minister of Torgo, together with his chaplain Fisher, and the physician Kentman of Torgo, came to pay a visit to the sick man. He conversed with these friends for about half an hour. He said that he did not feel particularly troubled on account of himself, but that he deeply felt the sad condition of the church. The men were exciting wanton and useless controversies, dividing the church and darkening the truth of the pure doctrine by violence, but that he also had the consolation to know that by the grace of God, the true doctrine is rightly explained in our churches. And thus concluded, If I die, I shall escape coming misfortunes, and shall be torn away from this unhappy, sophistical and strange year of nature. He began to pray with tears, and to commend the church of the Son of God, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ. When the three friends were about to depart, he invited them to dinner. They accepted the invitation, but one of them received word that his daughter was taken ill. He then came to bid him farewell, and the invalid exhorted them to pray for the churches and schools, and said, I know very well that you do so. The Almighty God be with you. This was at seven o'clock, and he was exceedingly weak. In the meantime, his pastor, several deacons, professors and other persons came in. Eight o'clock was the hour when the fever was expected. His strength decreased perceptibly, and at last he fainted. His friends restored him, and he slept quietly for a little while. When he awoke, he began to repeat his customary prayer. He spoke with a very feeble voice, yet every word could be heard. He prayed, O Almighty, eternal, living and true God, creator of heaven and earth, and men, together with thy co-eternal Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who was crucified for us, and raised from the dead, and thy living, pure and true Holy Spirit, thou wise, good, faithful, gracious and just God, thou voluntary, pure and faithful Saviour, who give us life and law, Thou hast said, I have no pleasure in the death of the sinner, but rather that he should return unto me and live. And who hast also said, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver thee. I confess myself a poor sinner before thee, who is burdened with many sins, for I have offended against thy holy commandments in many ways. And I mourn from my heart that I have offended thee, and pray thee for the sake of thy dear Son, our Lord and Saviour Jesus Christ who was nailed to the cross for our sakes, was raised again from the dead, that thou wouldest have mercy upon me, forgive me my sins, and justify me by and for the sake of the Lord Jesus Christ, who is thy eternal word and image, whom thou didst deliver as a sacrifice, mediator, redeemer and saviour, led by thy wonderful and indescribable counsels, and inscrutable wisdom and mercy. I also pray thee, to sanctify me by thy holy, living, pure and true Spirit, 
so that I may truly acknowledge and firmly believe, obey, thank, fear and invoke thee. Behold thy gracious countenance with joy throughout all eternity, and for ever serve thee, the almighty, true God, creator of heaven and earth, and men, the everlasting Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also Jesus Christ, thy dear Son, thine eternal word and image, and thy Holy Spirit, the true, pure and living Comforter. In thee have I hoped, O Lord, let me never be confounded, and thy righteousness deliver me. Make me righteous and bring me unto eternal life. Thou hast redeemed me, O thou God of faithfulness and truth. Keep and rule our churches and government and this school. Bestow a solitary peace and government upon them. Rule and protect our princes and government. Gather and preserve an everlasting Christian church unto thyself in these lands. Sanctify and united by thy Holy Spirit, that it may be one in thee, in the true knowledge and worship of thy dear Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. By and through him, thy eternal Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who for our sakes was nailed to the cross and raised again from the dead. Almighty, eternal Son of God, thou faithful Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, who art the eternal Word and image of the eternal Father, our Mediator and Saviour, crucified for us and raised again. I give thee most hearty thanks that thou didst assume our human nature and art ordained my Redeemer, that in the flesh thou didst suffer and rise from the dead, and now intercedest for me. I beseech thee, regard and have mercy upon me, for I am lonely and poor. Increase the light of faith in me, by thy Holy Spirit bear with me in my weakness, rule, protect and sanctify me. In thee, O Lord, have I hoped. Let me never be confounded. Almighty Holy Spirit, true, pure and living Comforter, illuminate, rule and sanctify me. Strengthen faith in my heart and in my soul. Give me true consolation. Preserve and rule me, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, that I may behold the beauty of the Lord. It may be and remain for ever a holy temple of the Lord, and praise God for ever with a joyful spirit in that eternal heavenly church and congregation. Thus he prayed. This prayer must have exhausted him very much, for he leaned back upon his bed and slumbered for some time. But suddenly he opened his eyes and said to Pusa, I have been in the power of death, but the Lord has graciously delivered me. He repeated this several times as it could only be explained by supposing that he had passed through some severe internal conflict. Magister John Sturio said to him, There is now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Melanchthon soon added, Christ is made to us wisdom, righteousness, sanctification and redemption, in order that as it is written, let him that glorieth glory in the Lord. He also frequently repeated the words, O Lord, have mercy upon me. His pulse was gone. His hands and feet became cold. His breathing short. His eyes, temple and the pit of his neck fell in. And his strength was failing very rapidly. It was easy to see that the hour of his departure was near. He was asked whether he did not wish to eat something. When he signified his willingness, they made him a soup of Hamburg beer. 
He ate about three spoonfuls and remarked, What a very good soup this is. He did not eat or drink anything more after this, but requested them to raise him up because he wished to finish his will. When he found that he was too weak, he said, O oh God, that I should be seized so unexpectedly. He laid his hands before him and sat for a little while and then laid himself down. The heat of the fever was still so strong that he left his feet uncovered, although they were extremely cold. He was able to turn about in his bed without assistance. About one o'clock he fainted again. Being restored by rubbing, he said, Ah, what are you doing? While he was thus lying perfectly still, the pastor thought it proper to read some portions of the Old and New Testaments to him. He and the two deacons, Froschol and Struyo, now eternally read the 24th, 25th and 26th Psalms, the 53rd chapter of Isaiah, the 14th, 15th, 16th and 17th chapters of John, Romans 5 and several other chapters and verses of Paul and the Prophets. When they were done and silent, the dying man said in a loud and distinct voice, I perpetually bear in mind the word of John, of the Son of God, my Lord Jesus Christ. The world knew him not, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. He then continued to pray silently. His lips were moving, but no one understood what he was saying. Those professors whose duty it was to lecture in the afternoon gave notice of the postponement of their lectures, in which they stated the reason, and called upon the students to unite their prayers with their own. A great excitement arose among the students and citizens, and all were filled with sorrow. All were anxiously awaiting the end. End of chapter 37 Part 2